0: Welcome to Our Jewish Roots, with insightful Bible teaching from Israel by Dr. Jeffrey Seidon. We travel to Beersheba today on Eretz Israel, the land of Israel.
1: Look
2: to the north, the south, the east, the west, all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Eretz Israel.
1: We're
0: so glad you've joined us today. I'm David Hart.
1: I'm Kirsten Hart. I am Jeffrey Seif. And with the gang, thrilled you're with us today. We're going to go back in time and look at the story of the land of Israel.
0: And we learned the Hebrew word for that, Eretz Israel. That's what this whole series is about.
1: Yes, Eretz, you do it quite well tell I've been the
0: practicing. Truth.
1: you. You guys are coming along. You've <laughs> grown you. over <laughs> the <laughs> years. <laughs> Thank you yeah. yeah. learning a little Hebrew. <laughs> you know, you guys are great Christian people, weren't born of Jewish extract, but just fell in love with all this stuff and you're in Israel all the time leading groups, aren't you?
3: Absolutely love it, but the the thing that sets this land apart, there's no other land in the world that was promised, and we call it the promised land, but from the voice of God himself, he said, this is for my people.
1: Right, even the term promised land, you say we call it, the literature doesn't call itself the promised land, but you notice in biblical literature there are a variety of promises associated with it and blessings to those that get involved in those promises. Amen.
3: Should we call it more the covenant land?
1: You can call it whatever you want, I just want you to love it.
3: In this series, we see you very adventuresome. You have uh, leather jackets, and you have your leather bag, and you're driving a Land Rover. You went to places that people don't get to visit, and you got there.
1: I remember driving that uh, that Defender. It's it's a of the Range Rover series, and I'm out there and passing skeletons, not of people, but animals that died. I mean, we're really going places buses don't go to show people things people don't normally see, all with the mind to better appreciate that's Israel.
0: It's good. Dr. Seif is on location near Bethel, which is called the House of God. But first, let's watch as Abraham travels to the new land of Canaan. Now the Lord said unto Abram,
2: Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, his nephew Lot, all the substance and persons they had acquired in Haran, and journeyed to Canaan.
1: It has been said that a journey of a lifetime begins with the very first steps. Well, come with me now and journey with me as we walk in the footsteps of our father Abraham. The expression the road less traveled. For many of us, the road of faith is just that. We want to consider the footsteps of the father of faith, and to help us, I want to show you a map so you can get some vision for the road that he traveled. It's a big map, but he took some big steps. Avraham left Ur of Chalde. He made his way through Mesopotamia, a Greek word meaning between the rivers, the Euphrates and the Tigris. He goes to Haran for a season until such time as the Lord beckons him to finish the final leg of the journey, making his way in the land of Canaan. And it's gonna lead him to this place here, Bethel. And it's not only this place here, but it's this place here. Come with me now. Let me give you a window of what it looks like. The promise given of a great nation. Avraham then departs and he makes his way to the land of Canaan, the land then called Canaan. Open your Bibles, please, to Genesis chapter 12 and let's follow in the footsteps of our father Abraham. We're told in verse 5 they departed and they came to Canaan. Avraham is noted as passing through various places, and isn't it like a journey as we're going to our inheritance in the Lord? We, uh, there's various stops along the way. We're told in verse 6 that the Canaanites were in the land. It's interesting, the Lord says, I'll give you the land of Canaan. There still were people, uh, using the term Canaanites, broadly construed that were here. That aside, even with some scattered people moving about here, the Lord is explicit. And I want you to hear me, please, in verse 7 in no uncertain terms. The Lord says, first the Lord appeared to him, it's something of a, of a vision and said, "To your descendants, I will give this land, the land of Canaan. This real estate, uh, there's uh, a tribal sorts, loose confederacies moving around in different places here. And some have taken residency in the cities. Uh, small fledgling cities, if you will, but, you know, as people are migrating along the Fertile Crescent and settling down here. But the Lord brings Avram here, and he says, listen, I have given this land to you in no uncertain terms of promise, to your descendants I will give it. And what does he do in response to hearing that? We're told something that Avram has done more than once. What does he do? He builds an altar, a mizbeach, a, a place of sacrifice. As we make our journey from the womb to the tomb, some of us have moments where we have something of an existential encounter with the Lord where we hear him speak to us. He stirs us up in our hearts. It's not all intellect, but there's a sense if we have a little ruach hat dwelling in us, a little Holy Spirit, that we're being driven along by a force that's not our own. We hear God's voice, we uh, move by his spirit, and individuals thus inclined within that context are minded along the way to to build some altars, to take some time out to worship the Lord. Abraham, upon hearing at this place, is minded to do much of that. I want you to see, we're told, having heard the promise, he moves from there, in verse 8, to the mountain east of Bethel, And he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And by the way, I'm coming to you from that place right now. Tourists don't frequent this because there's not much at one level, but one pilgrim did many years ago. And we're all about following the off-road story of the Bible where the tourist buses don't come. It's easy to get a camera crew, or easier, I should say, to get a crew in to take you to see some things that, uh, that, that they haven't built highways for others to get to. In any place, we're in proximity to that place here, uh, between those two cities noted where Abraham is minded to worship the Lord, we're told. And there, as I noted earlier, he builds an altar to the Lord, and he calls on the name of the Lord. Now, I call upon good people who call upon the name of the Lord to read the Bible. I'm surprised, by the way, how individuals that lay lay siege to the claim of being Bible believers, but I don't know what Bible they're reading because I'm clueless how someone can be a Bible believer on the one hand and a non-supporter of Jewish people in this land on the other. It makes no sense to me whatsoever. They can call themselves bishop, professor, doctor, reverend, whatever. But I'm clueless how someone can read the Bible and not just, you know, hold on to what the Bible says. Well, I wanna do that, and so I wanna commend to you, not just as I leave this one teaching segment, but as I introduce a series to remind you, God gave land to people. And in this series, Eretz Yisrael, we're gonna not only follow Abraham, but we're gonna follow his progeny, Yitzchak and Yaakov. We'll follow them around the land, the land called the promised land, the land of Israel.
2: Our offer on this program The Covenants of God. The covenants made by God with men and nations throughout the Bible are guideposts for understanding Scripture. This series illustrates, through testimony of expert teachers and analysis of the actual verses, The Great Covenants of God. Zola Levitt helps us understand God's covenants with man, enriching our faith, and expanding our knowledge of the great Creator we're privileged to call Father.
0: Ask for The Covenants of God DVDs. Join us right now for additional content that is only available on our social media sites, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Visit our website, levitt.com, for the current and past programs, the television schedule, tour information, and our free monthly newsletter, which is full of insightful articles and news commentary. View it online, or we can ship it directly to your mailbox every month. Also on our website is the online store. There, you can order this week's resource, or you can always give us a call at 1-800-WONDERS. Your donations to Our Jewish Roots Help us to support these organizations as they bless Israel. Please remember we depend on tax-deductible donations from viewers like you. For many, a trip to the Holy Land is the dream of a lifetime. The Bible truly comes alive as you see the sites where so many biblical events happened. Come on a Zola tour to see Israel in Petra. See the land of the Bible for yourself. Contact us to reserve your dream of a lifetime.
3: Two times a year, we host tours to the beautiful land of Israel, Eretz Israel, the land of Israel. We would love for you to go along with us. Levitt.com is the easiest way to get in touch with our tour manager. And there's a place in this next segment that David Dolan is going to take all of you to the Church of the Holy Sepulcher. And we've been, oh my gosh, how many times? Ten. Ten least, yeah. to this church. And it's somewhere that we always take you, take our Pilgrim on tour. It's fascinating. The history is amazing. We would love for you to go with us to the land of Israel.
0: How many times do you think you've been to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre?
1: Oh, 50-some Yeah, it's amazing. And uh, you can go back in ancient history. There's diaries of people that made long pilgrimages at great expense. They wanted to get to the Holy Land. I think Egeria, uh, the diary of Egeria, I recall reading uh, fourth or fifth century, uh, giving voice to uh, the experience of visiting the land and the church at great expense. Speaking of a great expense, you know, if you look at television, someone always pays for it. You know, there's commercials. I don't know if you get bothered by commercials, you know, selling toothpaste, selling this, selling that. Someone pays for this. It's not free. You know, salvation's a free gift, but someone paid for it, Jesus in this case. Uh, But relative to television, the reason why we do this is because you care to share. Uh, if it's a toothpaste commercial that the toothpaste company is purchasing, then the stock goes up and the stockholders are pleased. The gospel goes out, the principal stockholder is pleased. That's God Himself. Thank you for investing in what we do. Please. Help us tell the story. If you find value in traveling the land of Israel with an open Bible, if you find value in going to sites uh, not frequented by many, if you can't go there yourself but you like it when we show you the place, please get behind us and help us. I know that God will bless you as you do.
0: David Dolan is on location at the famous Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Let's go there right now.
1: And now, from the Old City in Jerusalem, David Dolan begins his story of the beginning of the modern state of Israel.
4: I'm standing in front of one of the oldest churches on earth, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in the Old City of Jerusalem. As you can see, Christians from around the world are here visiting this site, the site that many believe Jesus was crucified, buried, rose from the dead on a little hill that's inside the church called Golgotha. The Emperor Hadrian, the Roman Emperor, destroyed the state of Judea in the year 135 after a Jewish revolt. The temple had already been destroyed in AD 70, replaced by a temple to a pagan god, Jupiter. Here there was a pagan temple to the god Venus. That was deliberate because the Romans knew that Christians revered this site as some sort of a special place A Jewish mini-state remained in the land after Judea was destroyed and renamed Syria-Palestina, a name that was deliberately picked to insult the Jews because it came from their ancient enemy, the Philistines. Up in the northern Galilee, a Jewish state remained in effect. In fact, the Sanhedrin was reconstituted there. In the fourth century, the Roman Empire was divided. The eastern half was ruled by the Byzantines from Constantinople. The western half remained under Roman rule. The Byzantines fiercely persecuted the Jews here in the land, and many of them fled to the east to Mesopotamia or Babylon. Yet some Jewish communities remained, and in fact the records show in the 6th century there were 43 Jewish communities remaining. The Roman Emperor Constantine converted to Christianity in the 4th century. The temple that was here to Venus was destroyed by his mother Queen Helena, who came by to find Christian holy sites in this land. The Church of the Holy Sepulchre that you see behind me uh, has six denominations operating in it. The Greek Orthodox Church which was based in Constantinople but that became Istanbul. The Roman Catholic Church is there. Armenian Orthodox Christians also are there. The Syrian Orthodox Church operates there. The Egyptian Coptic Church and the Ethiopian Orthodox Church. It's not always easy for these different denominations to be together in this building and there are some clashes. In the year 614, the Persians invaded the land. They damaged the church, but they weren't there very long. In 630, the Byzantines recaptured it. But just a few years after that, in 638, a new religion, Islam, sent its forces up to this land. Behind me, you see the Tower of David. That was a mosque minaret. It's gone between Christian Jewish and Muslim rule over the centuries. They also captured the Temple Mount. They began work on a magnificent shrine, the Dome of the Rock. That was finished in the year 691. The Muslims that ruled here didn't set this up as a capital. They ruled the city, but they did so from Baghdad, sometimes from Damascus, sometimes from Cairo. And the different armies from those different areas would clash here in the city often. In the year 1009, the church was destroyed by Caliph al-Hakim. This was one of the prompts for the Crusades, the Pope in Rome, said, we must go to the holy city, we must recapture it. And in 1096, Crusader forces landed down on the coast, capturing the city of Jerusalem in 1099. But it didn't last very long. They were defeated by the Muslim forces led by Saladin up near the Sea of Galilee in the year 1187. Jerusalem was again under Muslim rule. And they were finally pushed out of the entire land in 1291. Meanwhile, Jews were being expelled from various European countries. Roman Catholic Church was unhappy that they had helped the Muslims to retake the city. They were expelled from England, then from France, then from Germany, from Hungary, finally from Spain and Portugal in 1492 and 97. The Muslims again were ruling this land. Again, it was different Muslim groups often clashing, the Mamluks. They were based in Damascus and in Cairo. And then in the year 1516, a new empire took control, the Turkish Ottoman Empire, gained this city and the surrounding areas. And these magnificent walls that you see behind me were built by Suleiman the Magnificent. At that time, the records show there were 30 Jewish communities in the land, and the Turkish Muslims were fairly tolerant of the Jews living here. Persecution decreased, and Jewish life was thriving fairly well. But that was at the beginning. Towards the end of the Ottoman rule, uh, more anti-Jewish rulers emerged that persecuted the Jews. And it was a bad situation that only started to change when the European powers gained more and more influence
1: in the 1800s. You know, Dave, uh, looking behind me over here, I'm reminded of the fact that religion really has a way of inspiring people, yes, for good and bad.
4: What say you? Well, absolutely. Um, In the historic review that I did uh, just a bit ago, I mentioned uh, Constantine, the Roman emperor, converting to Christianity, and his mother, Queen Helena, coming out here to um, check on the holy sites of Christianity. And as a result, uh, churches were built and, and the faith spread here.
1: An enormous investment of energy, money, and people. Amazing.
4: It really was. And of course, he was the emperor, so uh, and she, has, she, she has was, was the queen mother, as it were, <laughs> so they had a lot of that. But then later on, we see the negative uh, influence of religion, uh, again, from Christianity, the Crusades. Uh, They came down of course to reconquer the land for Christ but in doing so as you know well killed uh, hundreds of thousands of of Jews and and Muslims and others and many of them were killed and the Muslim rule later on uh, had good and bad. Uh, Good in that they established uh, some economic reforms and they they, uh, you know, the standard of living was increased for the people, but again, there was persecution of Jews and of Christians and the destruction of some of the earlier Christian holy sites, et cetera. I
1: mean, it's something, the nature of religious enthusiasm for good or for bad, but it, but it mobilizes, it elicits energies.
4: It does, and, and for the most part, for the good. We have several hospitals here in town that were started by Christian missionaries in the 1800s. We're right next to the Augusta Victoria one that uh, German Lutherans uh, founded. So uh, th- a very positive in that sense. But you know, this is the only spot on earth, Jeff, that's holy to three different faiths. It is unique in that way and you know, they don't always fit together so well and even the different groups inside of the faiths The different denominations in Judaism and Christianity, they clash at times. Listen,
1: the groups inside of the churches go at it. Last night, I was speaking to two Catholic priests that were just chagrined about how the way the monks are fighting in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Go figure. They thought it was an embarrassment, and I agree.
4: I've, I've actually witnessed it out in Bethlehem where they had broom handles and they were attacking each other. And this, this was because one group, I think the Armenians, were cleaning a certain wall that the Greek Orthodox said was their wall
1: and they should right, clean it. Right, so uh, yeah, the yeah, yeah. issues were even just tiny. Right, those, those stories are legion. So as you uh, noted that, that religion, and there are plenty of examples, has a way of eliciting energies. But then there's something else beside religion that's related to it. It's the voice of God, and our story here began with Abraham and just the, the, the biblical drama of individuals hearing God and responding and going on a journey. It takes them to interesting places, doesn't it? Last word's yours.
4: It absolutely does, and if there wasn't God, it would be a mess, but there is a God, and he has it all in his hands.
1: Yes, yeah, so somehow all these tensions get resolved as the voice of God leads us on in triumph.
3: You and David, in one of the last segments, you guys are, were on the Mount of Olives and we're talking about the land. That is kind of prime real estate, isn't it? Yes, in es-
1: Jerusalem. Es- especially cemetery real estate. It is. True story, Barry mentioned her this past week, went and bought some funeral plots for us. Zola said you should never buy, Funeral plots. You should just see if they can rent them to you because we're going to be <laughs> resurrected from it.
3: Well, you were standing there, and on the Mount of Olives, we notice all these tombs. What is the yes, history yes, yes, of that? Yes,
1: yes, yes. Well, it's 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 to get it's it's box office seats to the greatest show on earth. You know, to to be buried there, uh, opposite the temple complex, when the eschaton, when prophecy is fulfilled, and to be resurrected from there. It's all um, staged in anticipation of that event. In Hebrew, the resurrection of the dead isn't just a, a cardinal Christian doctrine, Jews believe in it, and they're being buried there in order to get a front row seat to it.
3: It's a fascinating place, isn't it? The it matter is. of all is when we go there on tour to see these massive tombs and they're not in the ground, they're just right above the ground, they're, they're ready to go.
1: Speaking of one, there's a church we looked at in this program that's designed around a tomb, yes?
3: Okay, what do you think? Is, <laughs> there's two places, there's the garden tomb, and then there's Church of the Holy Sepulchre. In your opinion, do we even do that? Where? What's the authentic site? Can we find the authentic site?
1: Well, we can. We like. I know when you do tours, take people to both. We do. Uh, going back to the the fourth century, Helena. Uh, Constantine's mom visited the land, and uh, early Christians took her to the site, and she then began the development of a church around it. Actually, a number of churches sprung up in response to her early tour. So there's a story that goes back uh, millennia uh, to that site, and Christians have made uh, pilgrimages there. And of course, when people go there today, it shows all of that medieval. You know, the, uh, you know, the castle churches, which doesn't speak to the sensibilities of individuals with a Christian persuasion that's less ornate, given to incense and the art and the architecture. Uh, simply, they would prefer the garden tomb the more so. And there's an argument for the garden tomb spot. It, it's simple, there's a story there, there's a story at the sepulchre. I say let people make up their own mind. We just like showing both.
3: It's still fascinating. And it's
1: still an empty tomb, by the way, it either is, way. Yeah.
3: That's, that's that's the most important thing. Where doesn't really matter that it's empty does matter. It's
0: an empty too. So much more about this beautiful land of Israel that we love so much. But right now we end with a song from Esther
1: and also a word from the scripture. Sha'alu Shalom Jerusalem.
3: Pray for the peace of Jerusalem.
5: I'm <laughs> going I'm clean, I'm